Water's Edge podcast acknowledges the traditional owners of country throughout the Murray-Darling Basin and Australia and recognises the continuing connection to lands, waters and community. We pay our respects to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and to the elders past, present and emerging. Coming up in part two of our chat with NRA, what technology NRA is looking at to detect non-compliance. So I say to anyone who thinks water theft is prominent in New South Wales, is you're getting it wrong. Because I give you an assurance that through this technology, we are able to monitor accurately the movement of water, the extraction of that water, the application of water. And how to determine what defines harm when a conviction is made for water offences. Uh, harm is not uh, stopping at the border. Harm is a system-wide issue. Um, and so we want to look at the social harm, the cultural harm, the economic harm, and we don't want to do that on a state level. We want to do that on a basin level. I'm your host, Annabelle Hudson. This is Water's Edge, and welcome to the conversation. Our field officer network is really well connected to communities on the ground and we obviously follow closely in the media whenever NRA has prosecuted a water um, user. But a question of, or concern that is quite frequently raised in the community is whether penalties are proportionate to the offence. What's your view on that, Grant? When you break down compliance and enforcement, the, the model itself is quite simple. Firstly, the ability to detect uh, non-compliance is really, really important. Now for NRA, we do that in, in combination of boots on the ground. So we've been very deliberate in re-establishing a visible compliance presence in New South Wales. And that's by virtue of more compliance officers, more investigators, more monitoring staff out engaging with, with water users. One, it's important to re-establish that relationship. And with that relationship also comes the understanding that NRA is out there and have the means in detecting non-compliance. But we've also got a program that we call Eyes in the Sky, which is something that's developed over the last three years where we have access to some incredible technology uh, that's derived primarily from satellites that are buzzing above us as we speak. Now that the imagery that those satellites have captured have been available publicly for, for many, many years, what we've been able to do though is convert that imagery into actionable intelligence. So in those satellites, you can see water being stored up in the catchments. You can see water moving down a watercourse, down a big river. You can detect water being taken from a watercourse and being stored in large dams. Do you have to be actively looking at this satellite imagery or can you automatically get a notification? That's the wizardry yeah. is being able to, and using some pretty complex mathematics, with a bit of machine learning and artificial intelligence, we've got the means of automating what I'm describing. Because it's not just then the storage of that water, is what then happens to it. It's taken out of the storage, it's applied on, on ground, and miraculously you see a crop germinate, grow, and then harvested. Putting all that in the mix, we can determine the volume of water used to grow and to grow that crop against the entitlement that a user has. 
So I say to anyone who thinks water theft is prominent in New South Wales, is you're getting it wrong. Because I give you an assurance that through this technology, we are able to monitor accurately the movement of water, the extraction of that water, the application of water, and tie it back into the accounting system, the water licensing system, to determine if the take is compliant or if it's non-compliant. And we can do that through automated means. And maybe making it even simpler, if you, have, if you are motivated to take water illegally, more than you're entitled to, you're going to have to take large volumes for it to be commercially viable. It's not a couple of buckets that you can put under the bed. Mm. You've got to store it. And those storages are exposed to satellites. And changes in those storage volumes are detectable by the mathematics, the, the computers that we have. We can show change in volume. So it's not in anybody's interest to take water more than you're entitled to because we can detect it. Now, you asked before, what are the consequences of that unlawful uh, actions? So the, the NRA has many powers, enforcement tools that we can take, criminal tools, civil tools. And in the criminal space, that is taking a prosecution to the local court or the New South Wales Land and Environment Court. Now, we take prosecutions where we have a case that has reasonable prospects of conviction and we put that case to the judge and we have great barristers and legal teams who will argue our case and out of the 37 prosecutions that we've commenced to date, we win most of them. Now, in securing a conviction, the judge or the magistrate then has to evaluate the, the sanction that's applicable, and they'll use sentencing guidelines, they'll use the arguments of harm, they'll look at the evidence, the factual evidence before them, and they're going to make a, a decision. The, the sentencing decisions they, they make for the Water Management Act uh, are quite large. You know, there are large financial penalties that can be imposed uh, by the justice when they've determined that there's been a, a you know a, a law, unlawful breach of the law. Now I'm talking you know a million dollars in some circumstances, five million dollars in other circumstances. These are maximum penalties. There are also daily penalties that can be applied for ongoing um, uh, ongoing offences. In practice, though, it is very unusual in natural resources law for maximum penalties to be applied. Discounts are warranted based on um, a guilty plea. Discounts occur through um, uh, an understanding of the type of harm and whether it was, uh, how it was, might have been mitigated and so forth. It is to the judiciary who determines the penalties that are applicable and we respect the decision of the court. There are examples where we look back and think that those penalties were lighter than what they should have been. But again, it's important that we acknowledge and respect the de decision of, of the judge or the magistrate. Just jumping back to some of Grant's comments on remote sensing technology, because we did some work last year um, engaging an independent uh, auditor, Des Pearson, to have a look at the compliance systems in New South Wales uh, and particularly in NRA. Um, and really challenged the way we think about things when we started to look at the 
capability that now exists in remote sensing monitoring uh, because it it's it's always typically been seen as something that augments metering but we're getting to the point now where it's almost replacing metering in some instances so the question about metering is um, how do you monitor water take that's why we're doing all of that work in metering to get high levels of coverage to get accurate meters to tell the regulator what's happening in water take but what grants just described is essentially a new way of monitoring water take uh, that now sits alongside metering um, over time it's got the potential uh, to replace metering we're not there yet from a technology point of view um, from an accuracy point of view um, although remote sensing is highly accurate uh, at the moment they sit together and and um, uh, and help provide a second line of evidence for what you're seeing on the ground um, but it really is starting to challenge the way we think about water compliance, the way we think about monitoring what's happening on farm. Um, and to pick up the point on, um, on the judiciary and penalties, um, there is an important role that the Inspector General can play in this space, and it's a coordinating one. Um, so the issues that Grant outlined uh, and um, uh, the way that uh, penalties are determined uh, is not a New South Wales specific issue. The same issue occurs in each jurisdiction across the basin. Um, so what we're doing at the moment is working with uh, all of the regulators, including Grant, to think about how can we uh, provide additional information to the judiciary uh, on harm so we can think about harm in a different way. Uh, harm is not uh, stopping at the border. Harm is a system-wide issue. Um, and so we want to look at the social harm, the cultural harm, the economic harm, and we don't want to do that on a state level. We want to do that on a basin level. And that's the, the, the um, I think, one of the important roles the Inspector General can play is that coordinating role across the jurisdictional regulators where they have a common problem and we can bring them together for a common solution. It's not just the penalty itself that that is the sanction. So these are criminal convictions that are imposed. And so that means beyond simply the, the money, it goes to cost orders that the judge will Im likely impose. NRA will always seek a publication order upon conviction. And that, if imposed, requires the water user to put in digital and also in print media a record of the conviction, who they are, where they operate from, what they took, what law they breached and that statement that's made in our experience has a significant impact on the user. Well, it's their reputation. And their reputation and, and this is you know activities occurring in regional New South Wales in small rural communities where one's standing um, is important. The social licence that comes from being a law-abiding water user um, in rural New South Wales is important. Now the other thing to note about a criminal conviction is, is the impact that has on one's public life. So uh, you can think of circumstances where say you want to travel, you want to go over to uh, America and you have to make a declaration on your visa application about whether you have any criminal convictions or not. Answering yes imposes restraints on a user that I don't think is well understood 
when people are going through the courts for water offences and they're getting convicted, it is not simply the pain of the financial penalty. There are other constraints that are imposed on their, on their public life that has significant bearing on, on individuals. We know through five years of operation and engaging with thousands of water users that most are honest operators. They know what's required of them and they do the right thing consistently. We know that there are some water users who through misunderstanding or mistakes find themselves on the wrong side of the law that is easy to correct. It's easy for us in engaging with them to put them straight and require them to do so and they are compliant, they'll, they'll sort themselves out easily. In New South Wales, and I don't think this is any different to other jurisdictions, there is a small, stubborn group who are willful in their conduct, whose um, criminal activity is for profit. And it is in those minor, um, rare circumstances where there is an argument that the penalties applied by the court are insufficient to correct their behaviour. So there are other things that a regulator should be exploring, which we are, and things that we can do in concert with the Inspector General's office. One, one example would be removing or suspending the right to take water. We have those powers in our Act. In fact, last month for the, we suspended a water user's licence to take water for a period due to their persistent um, non-compliance. There are other means of imposing financial charges that are not criminal, that can be civil, that again we would explore with the Inspector General's office. The point being to take away the profit from unlawful conduct. Often when our field officers are out and about, what we hear across the basin is people asking why um, are penalties different in different jurisdictions? Why is it not the same in terms of a water theft offence in South Australia, Victoria, Queensland, New South Wales and the ACT? Why can't we have penalties which are equivalent in each jurisdiction? Um, we've spoken at length with jurisdictions about this issue and it's not just water theft issues that come into that equation. Um, states have a justice system that is much, much broader than just water regulation. And consistency within the state across different offences and how those penalties relate to each other is the key priority and consideration of state justice departments uh, as they manage all of the different areas uh, of life that they regulate. It's not just water. So we often get the why can't you harmonise it, why can't it be the same. As soon as you make it the same in water across the basin, you make it inconsistent within each jurisdiction across other issues broader than water. Um, and so uh, we're interested in the outcomes and as Grant said before, how do we help provide information to the judiciary uh, that um, helps judges understand all of the issues around harm. So the Inspector General, on the back of a review of all state compliance systems, 
uh, committed to doing some work with the states uh, to develop a guideline around harm so that we can get all the jurisdiction regulators to work together on a common guideline that helps inform how we have that conversation with the judiciary, how that information uh, goes and is presented in front of the courts, uh, and we can have a broader conversation about harm. Uh, and we think in that way you can start to um, uh, help inform the judiciary as it thinks about penalties um, and where in the range of existing penalties it, it chooses to uh, uh, make its decision. The Inspector General was at Senate Estimates recently saying that under current legislation only a moron would be caught when it comes to trade price reporting rules. Um, I'll get each of your takes on that um, and how water regulation is structured in the basin states. Thanks, Annabelle. The, um, the comments that the Inspector General made were very specifically about the Basin Plan water trading rules and even more specifically about the water uh, trade price reporting uh, uh, um, rules which we regulate as the Inspector General. Um, and you heard Grant talking before about penalties, about um, you know, uh, multiples of water take. What we want to make sure is that when the um, when people report a price of a trade that is supporting market transparency, but it's also supporting the broader consideration about regulation across the basin. Um, so there's lots of things feeding into that uh, area, but what we're really interested in is, um, is a high level of accountability. The ACCC called out these issues in their water markets inquiries uh, report uh, two years ago. We know government's committed to addressing some of these issues through the roadmap uh, and responding to those um, uh, recommendations. Uh, and what you're seeing there from the Inspector General is an articulation of what we're seeing on the ground with current rules uh, and the need for some tighter uh, and enhanced rules, particularly around uh, price reporting, but generally market transparency uh, as a broader issue. I think what Troy was getting at with that comment is to highlight a really important issue that I think is pervasive across the Basin States, and that's the sheer complexity of the water management laws that water users must comply with. And we hear from commentators, you know, legally trained commentators who make who give advice about the complexity of, of the laws and what should be done to simplify it. And, and those comments align with what experience we hear of water users on farm. It's too complex to understand. It's too complex to apply. It's therefore too complex to comply with. Then from our angle, it's difficult to monitor. It's difficult to enforce it's very challenging to prosecute. At its most simplest terms, water management laws should be about the volume of take, the timing of that take, and the location of the take. Those are the three key elements that really matter. Now, my mum, she's in her 70s, and like many is a, an adept user of the iPhone. It's a beautiful piece of, of engineering. It is so simple 
and it's user experience that my mum can navigate through the apps and it does a whole lot of things that she enjoys. But it is a really complex piece of engineering. Just open up an iPhone and see what's inside. It's incredible. But it's not complicated to use. Water management should not be as complicated as it is. And a modern, digitally enabled environment for water management should be able to communicate directly with water users in a way that conveys the volume of water they can take, when they can take it, and through what means they can take it from. Strip out the complexity, just layer something far more simpler. That does two things. One is it respects the genuine intentions of most water users who want to do the right thing, but on occasion find themselves in difficulty. And two, from our perspective, it makes the law much more easier to enforce, much more effective in delivering the outcomes that the Water Management Act in New South Wales seeks to achieve. Our experience over five years is very clear. There must be change in water legislation and water regulation to enable water users to successfully access their entitlements without presenting themselves at risk of legal jeopardy. The Inspector General um, really looks through three lenses on this issue. Um, we're looking for enforceable rules. We're looking for um, transparency so people can see and understand what's going on. And we're looking for accountability. So when people um, uh, do breach the law, that there's a consequence for that breach. Um, and all of that, as Grant said, goes back to having effective rules. That's the foundation and cornerstone that enables that enforcement, that transparency and that accountability. We know that often you can attribute the work that we do in compliance and enforcement to road safety legislation. And listeners will understand that a sign that posts the speed limit is done in really simple terms. It's got a red circle and inside has a number. And beyond that, you're in breach of the limit. At and below that, you're all good. The equivalent in water legislation would be a sign that describes a particular speed limit based on the model of car you drive the colour of that car, its type of upholstery, whether or not it comes equipped with a turbo, the engine size and beyond. And it places that obligation on the user to understand all that complexity and draw a decision to be on the right side of the law or not. And most cases in, in our experience it becomes almost unfathomable. It is the equivalent of a speed sign written in algebra. It's a really good analogy and, and a really clear way of explaining to people how complex it is. It's not just a black and white issue. It's definitely grey and multicoloured and everything in between. Thank you, Daniel and Grant, for your time today. It's been an interesting chat, as always. Um, and for our Waters Edge listeners, you can find more information about the Inspector General on our website and we'll also post a link to NRA's website for more information about NRA. Um, thank you both for your time. Thank you, Annabelle. Thank you, Annabelle. 
Water's Edge is produced by the Inspector General of Water Compliance, Australian Government, Canberra. For more information, visit www.igwc.gov.au.